Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. It is our prayer that God would indeed give us vision, give us sight to see the truth. And part of that vision is to see our sins. We come before God to confess our sins and we have God's Word call us to that confession week by week. Colossians 3 this uh, Sunday, Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Thus far the reading of God's word. The thought today comes from the sermon text as well, where Eli uh, and... um, Hannah's husband uh, both show some faults of their own. People in authority tend to misunderstand their people. Eli misunderstood Hannah uh, as uh, her priest. Parents with children sometimes wind up provoking them instead of understanding them. We easily forget what it's like to be 8 or 13 as parents. Husbands can fail to understand wives and so be harsh or bitter with them. Even in a Christian home or church, it's too easy to be selfish with authority. How much more do the Gentiles lord it over each other? We see them overthrow and riot against authority and then set up their own rough justice. Let us instead use the structures that God gave us to serve the least among us, to build them up, to equip them to serve God as best they can. Governments can give peaceful rule of law instead of overreacting police or exploiting politicians. Church leaders can teach and point to Christ instead of build ministry platforms or slack off. Parents can raise children proactively and thoughtfully instead of leaving it to others to do. Uh, Let us confess our sins before Almighty God. I encourage you to kneel if you are able. chapter and a half or so of 1 Samuel, starting a new sermon series here in Samuel. So if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles with me. A bit of a longer text. This is um, narrative. It's story form. And so it is often more appropriate to take in a longer, bigger chunk of Scripture at once to get the flow of the story and the, the connections and so forth. So we'll begin at the First verse, go through chapter 2, verse 11. Let's pray before we read God's Word again. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving us this Word. You have given us a light for our feet, a lamp for our path, a Word for us to treasure in our hearts so that we might not sin against you. Lord, let this Word serve that purpose today. Sanctify us by your truth. Your Word is truth. It's your son who prayed that for us, and we ask that you would answer his prayer, that you would make us a spotless bride for him uh, by washing us with the water of this word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina his wife and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. And so it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. 
and he worshipped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. God's people said, Amen. Quite a story, Samuel with Hannah. Why Samuel? Why have I turned here? Well, in the... I've enjoyed the sermon series on psalms and troubled times, uh, but I did want to get away from uh, picking psalms myself based on current events. That always makes me a little nervous. Uh, my calling is to preach and to apply the Bible, not to comment on culture or politics using the Bible. And I think I've avoided doing that in past weeks, but it always makes me nervous. So preaching through a book of the Bible uh, is safer and a better diet for us anyway as believers. Uh, we want to just get the, get the Bible in our bloodstream, and it will naturally apply to our lives. Uh, so that's one thing. Second, more, uh, more positively, uh, there, there's not enough focus on Jesus as our king these days. And Samuel is all about typology. It's all about David as a type of Christ and God providing a king for Israel. Typology, the, the, the idea that the Bible is one book, that there's one plot line running through it, and there's all kinds of parallels and connections pointing to the central character of Christ. So like any good literature, everything in the book contributes to that plot. Nothing's just hanging out there. It all fits together. And so Samuel contributes to the plot of the Bible. And again, to give away part of that plot, that Samuel's all about Israel going from chaos to kingship. Going from chaos to kingship. And God often uses some plot lines over in the Bible, uh, just like we see in literature today. If you've ever watched the old Western movies, right? The tumbleweed blows across the, the, the main street. It's a deserted old West town. The sheriff is standing in the street on one side, somebody else on the other. You know what's going to happen, right? There's going to be a shootout, somebody's going to die. There's a plot line like that that we expect, that we know is coming. The Bible had those same kind of plot lines. There's a woman who's unable to give birth. Ah, huh, I know what to expect. 
God's going to provide, for, give that woman a son, and that's going to be a, a, a person who advances God's agenda in the world. Uh, Abraham and Sarah. Uh, Samson is born to Manoah's wife. Samuel here born uh, to Hannah. And it goes on to uh, Mary and Joseph uh, and Jesus. That's the kind of plot line we begin with here. So uh, that's one of God's plot lines. Now we're in the days of the judges. Samson is uh, born at this time. It's, it's the same time frame when Israel is oppressed by the Philistines. So Samson is born and God says, don't let, him, let a razor touch his head. He's to be a Nazarite. And uh, when Samuel is born, it's the same. Uh, I won't let a razor touch his head. Samuel and, uh, and, and Samson are very much parallels. Uh, and uh, they're also very closely in the same time frame. It's that same time of chaos in the time of the judges when everybody did what was right in their own eyes. That's the last line of the book of Judges. That's the way the book of Judges ends. And you've got Ruth tucked in there right after that. But after Ruth, you've got 1 Samuel. That's where you start. The, the historical context is everybody's doing whatever they want to. Uh, Worship-wise, religious-wise, uh, politics-wise, whatever it is. So those times of chaos may apply to us. But we are in a time when the influence of the church, the influence of righteousness, is not strong in the culture. It's at a, a low point. And that's the end of Judges. That's how Samuel starts. The Philistines are oppressing during this time. They have iron chariots. And I think there's a connection there. We have the same kind of thing going today, where the godless are wielding the most advanced technology uh, against us in a spiritual war to culturally influence us and to fit us into their mold. That's what's happening in the world today. The Philistines have the technology. They're re refusing us access uh, to the halls of power in many ways. And they are oppressing. So that's the times of chaos. And God is going to take Israel from that time and give them a king. And bring them out of that time. So uh, two other quick points of introduction before we jump into the outline there. Um, one, in the sermon notes, you see kids, instead of giving you six words to look for, I've given you a fill-in-the-blank this time. So now you've got uh, some fill-in-the-blank quiz to do if you'd like to. Uh, each of the points follows the outline, so hopefully it's easier that way. And last, uh, just as a, a heads up as far as my resources, there's a great commentary uh, on Samuel called A Son to Me by Peter Lightheart, uh, which I've read through a couple of times. It's excellent. I follow that quite closely. I recommend it to you if you're up on reading commentaries. If not, feel free to pass it by. It's quite in-depth. I can only cover a tenth of the stuff that's in there, so there, it's very rich uh, and good. Uh, so I uh, commend that book to you. But let's get started. You see the, the outline there, and it's a chiasm once again. So you've got, uh, that's why we took this kind of odd section of Scripture, because this is a unit. This, this is a, a section, the opening section, uh, that, that puts the chiasm, the center, uh, at the birth of Samuel. Uh, so we're just going to go right through each of those sections, uh, though, as we uh, continue to expound Scripture here. So Hannah's barrenness first. The first eight verses, uh, we see that described. Uh, Israel is Yahweh's favored bride, uh, and that's being pictured here. Uh, Israel is Yahweh's favored bride. He, there's, there's all the nations out there that God has made, but God has chosen Israel. And yet, Israel is not bearing fruit. Uh, Israel is unfaithful, uh, oppressed by the Philistines, 
And so Hannah's body is a microcosm of Israel. She is impotent. She's unable to bear fruit for God. The sacrificial system is not operating as it should be operating because of Israel's sin. So you're going to see this a lot in Samuel. There's a mixing of the personal, the, the intimately personal, can't have a baby, with, with the, what God's doing as, with God's people uh, nationally. Uh, it, it's quite striking. Now, the barrenness is not personally Hannah or Elkanah's fault. Creation has fallen. Uh, we have all kinds of uh, things that happen as a result of the sin of our first parents, not necessarily of our own personal sin. Elkanah's faithful. He goes up to the temple every year. But he is impotent to solve the problems around him. He can't make Hannah have children. He can't drive out Israel's oppressors, the Philistines. His reply in verse 8 shows his inadequacy. I don't know what, how you respond to that, but most people when they read what Elkanah says to Hannah, kind of roll their eyes or snort a little bit like, oh, what are you saying? That's all you got to say? Come on. It, it's inadequate. It's not sufficient. And that's Israel. And that's us. We're in that position. We can't, we can't make ourselves bear fruit for God. God has to enliven us by his spirit to do that first. We're impotent to fix our sin problem before God. We're, we, we cannot fix the chaos that we're watching around us. What do you do when you're faced with a situation beyond your control in your family or in your body or in the world around today? Our first response that scripture gives to us in this text is to come to God humbly in prayer. And this is the same point as last week. Providentially, it's the same point from last week to the first point this week. Hannah prays. God has all authority and power over earthly and heavenly powers. He's in charge. He's capable to set things right. So uh, many things are going to happen in this book. Uh, national things, royal things, revolutionary things. Uh, but there's a reason it starts with a lowly woman from the backwoods of Ephraim. God reminds us at the beginning that he works through clay vessels, 2 Corinthians 4, that his strength is made perfect in our weakness, that he delights to reveal himself to the simple, hide himself from the wise. He's going to do awesome things, tearing down powers because of this three-year-old boy in the temple with Eli. And so Hannah, uh, knowing that, prays. That's the second section here, verses 9 through 11. Hannah prays that God would remember, please remember, and give a child. So again, Hannah prays, we, we believe in the providence of God, so uh, isn't Hannah's barrenness God's will? Sometimes we twist this as, as good, strong Calvinists and pray less or pray less fervently because, well, God has set that this is the way it is. We just have to accept whatever is happening Actually, no, like I said last week. Sometimes God wants us uh, to pour out our desires that when we see something that's going on that we don't, that shouldn't be how it is, God. We believe that what God wants will happen, that he has the power to make it happen, but that doesn't obliterate our will. God's given us our will and he wants us to share our will, our desires with him. Even if we aren't sure that our desires match up completely with his. Often we don't know. 
Right? Hannah prays for a son, not completely sure that God's, it's God's will for her. A Abraham prays for God to spare Sodom if there's ten righteous. He didn't know, but, but he pours out his desire. Now, of course, we may not pray for something that we know is against God's will, but if we aren't sure, he wants us to pour out our desires to him. The Psalm 116 mentions this. The psalmist pours out his heart before the Lord. So that's what Hannah's doing. Uh, she has promised to sacrifice the fruit of her womb. If God gives a child to her to train him in the Nazarite way, to give him to God his whole life, uh, she will give him to the Lord. Uh, now, this doesn't make sense to us. If we read this text as a purely personal problem between Hannah and her husband and her God, if she wants a child for her own, why would she promise to give him away if she gets him? Right? There's something more going on here. A couple of things. Uh, first, there's the whole idea of first fruits in the Bible. Uh, the, the Bible is uh, replete with this, especially in the Pentateuch, in the law. It, when we receive an increase from God, God says, the first of that that you get goes to God. We think of this uh, usually completely the opposite way around these days in finances and offerings. The way we think of it is, uh, well, once I've got everything brought in, then if I've got enough, then I'll give 10% to the Lord. God actually asks us to do it the other way around, to say, okay, estimate your income, and the first 10% that comes in, give to me right away, and trust me for the rest. And that's what's going on here. He does the same kind of thing with the firstborn, right? With the firstborn are given to God. I'll redeem them for money, and, and they can go on their way. But the firstborn is God's. That's what Hannah's doing here. The first of the children you give to me is yours, Lord. And, well, there's a lot that could be said about that, but I need to move on. Uh, Hannah's offering uh, the life of Samuel to the Lord. It's a striking huge sacrifice. So she has a grander, grander vision too. It's not fully known to us yet. We'll see it more fully next week. Uh, but she's asking for a lot, right? It's, you can see it in her prayer, in her uh, prayer in, in the chapter 2. Look at all that she's thanking God for doing. Uh, making the, the poor sit with princes. Uh, tearing down the wicked and so on. Hannah's prayer is more than just Give me a baby. There's more going on. And we'll see that as the book unfolds. Well, uh, Eli sees her praying. And the typical way of praying back then was to, to speak out loud. It, everybody would be, be speaking out loud in the temple. It would be quite the chaos and jumble of voices. So Eli notices that she's not actually saying anything, but her lips are moving. She's, she's so intent uh, that it's a, a bit out of the normal form that they had. And so he thinks that, that she's drunk. Well, Hannah wants a better priest than Eli. That's part of what's going on here. Eli is sitting in the temple. That's one clue. Uh, priests never sit in the Old Testament. Priests are always standing. There's no chairs in the tabernacle, in the temple. But Eli has fashioned himself a chair to sit in the temple. Of course, judges ruled in the gate. They were probably were sitting there. That's mentioned in Scripture. But in the temple, in God's house, no. The priest never sits. Uh, sitting down means that you expect to be served, uh, not to serve. You know how this is when you go to a restaurant, right? 
you, you sit down at the table and the waiter never sits down with you. He's always standing and moving and serving, right? That's, that's meant to be the priest. He's the one who's serving. So what is Eli doing sitting? It's just a tiny little clue. You don't want to read too much into it, but it's a clue. It tells us volumes about his attitude in the Lord's house. And of course, the second hint to Eli's inadequacy as a priest is that he thinks that Hannah is drunk when she's praying intently. Shouldn't a priest be able to tell the difference between a person who's praying hard and somebody who's drunk? You'd think so. But Eli can't tell the difference. So Hannah wants a better priest than Eli. Uh, uh, maybe he's seen people drunk before, but fervent prayer is more rare in his world. I don't know. But he, he ends up chasing away one of God's precious saints in the throes of spiritual agony. It's like, what is going on? Hannah wants a better priest than Eli. And that's part of what she's praying in chapter 2. We'll get to that more next week again. A lot of this, the plot covers several chapters, so it's kind of frustrating to me because I want to cover something that's two chapters down the road or it doesn't make sense now. We just have to be patient. You get, it's like reading a novel, reading a story. It, it'll, it'll come clear later on in another chapter. So we'll see that more. Uh, but um, uh, Hannah, uh, Eli is sitting in the temple and Hannah wants a better priest. So the middle section, verse 19 to 23, that's the center of the, the chiasm, the meat in the middle of the sandwich uh, today. And it's that God remembers and that's the key word of this, uh, this whole uh, section. God remembers Hannah. It, and you see that word quite a bit in here. There's a good love song from a few years back uh, that my family has been enjoying recently because it was on a TV show that they, they used. It starts out like this. I will remember you. Will you remember me? That's the first line. And that, that's it right there, right? I'm going to remember you. It's important that our loved ones remember us, right? But when it's God remembering us, that's our salvation. If God doesn't remember us, where are we? So God remembers Hannah, gives her a son, and that's, that's salvation. Uh, that's salvation for the nation of Israel. So instead of saying that God saved Noah through the flood, the Bible says that God remembered Noah. Instead of God saying that he saved Lot, it says he remembered Abraham for Lot's sake. Remembering. God has remembered you. And so he gives a son to a woman who put, couldn't physically give birth. It was inconceivable to use a pun. But with God, all things are possible. I hope you're noticing all the echoes here of Luke 2, right? This is all applies to Mary as well uh, with Jesus, our true Savior. So God remembers us and gives us Jesus. That's the point. That's the center of this text. It's the center of the plot of this whole book. Not just Samuel, but the Bible. God remembering his people and so sending his son to them in the fullness of time to deliver them from their troubles and their sins. That's the gospel. And it's tucked away right there in 1 Samuel 1. So that's the center. And then the, ne the last three sections as we work our way out are all paralleling each other. Uh, we have Eli and Hannah again. Uh, Eli was sitting before. Now she comes before him to pay her vow. 
Hannah pays her vow. Here she is doing what she can with what God gave her and giving it up for the Lord's service. She made a vow to the Lord. If she had a child, she'd give him to the Lord. Now she comes before God to keep her word. So as God remembered her and gave her what she needed, so now Hannah remembers God and she remembers her prayer for Samuel. We have to remember too. As God has remembered us, we remember what we asked for or what God has done for us and we act on that. And Hannah does that. So that's a, something for us to remember in our prayer life, perhaps. So what have we been asking for? Uh, what has God remembered uh, in all of this? Where, where has God answered prayer in the last six months or three years? How has God answered my prayers? Uh, if we see places where he has, are, are we acting on that? Are we paying our vows, giving thanks? Uh, last thing to note here, and I should spend more time on this, but I, I just don't have time. Uh, this was a question that came up in my own family when I read this text. How on earth could, is this real? Did Hannah really give Samuel up at three years old to the temple and never see him again? Well, she sees him once a year. Uh, but did, did he stay at the temple full time, 24-7 for the rest of his life? And that does seem to be the case. That's what's going on. She goes and visits him. Uh, every year as they go. But Hannah has truly given up her son to the Lord's service in that way. From, and I'm saying three years, that's, that's a standard estimate of when, she, when they would wean a child then. Uh, so he's a young boy, a young child, it, it says. This is quite an act of faith. As we'll see in uh, next week, uh, there's a lot of corruption going on in the temple. There, things are not ideal there. She sees how Eli treats her. And yet, because she's made a vow to the Lord, she's going to act on that and sacrifice for the Lord. This is quite an act of faith to, to send Samuel into that environment. But again, if God can give me a child when I was barren, God can protect that child in, in a difficult situation too. So Hannah hands... Uh, Samuel over to leave to Eli. That next section is Hannah's song. This, uh, this is the uh, chapter two, verses one through ten. Uh, the, this whole section, and again, Hannah sees here more than just an answer to personal prayer. There's way more in here than just thank you, Lord, for giving me a baby. And we ought to highlight every everything in there that's more than that, and it's ninety percent of the whole thing. Uh, God has answered the first phase of her grand vision. And she sees this life from a dead womb as the first phase of the whole nine yards coming to fruition. The Philist and one thing he, she's saying is the Philistines are going to lose their power over God's people. God's going to deliver us. This is the time of the judges, remember. They're thinking, send a judge, send a deliverer to save us from our oppressors. And so when, Hannah's th when Samuel is three years old, Hannah prays and says, Thank you, Lord, for delivering us. <laughs> Even though it's maybe a generation in the future. And that's, that's how we pray as, as a church as well. Right? When we pray our prayers of a church, we often pray thanking God for bringing things to a final consummation. Even though he hasn't done that yet. Thank you, Lord, that you will one day return even though it hasn't come yet. So, again, if this is starting to sound familiar, it's supposed to. What other women from the hill country are unable to give birth 
but they do have children. And one goes up to the temple with her child, where there's a corrupt priesthood, after she sings a song almost identical to Hannah's. That's Elizabeth and that's Mary in the first chapters of Luke. And the child was destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel, as Simon prophesies. Because of Christ's birth and death and resurrection, God sets the lowly and the poor among princes. And because of Christ's birth and righteousness and death and resurrection, God brings down the wicked and they are silenced. So that's the question. Are are we connecting the grand vision in Hannah's song in chapter 2 with her personal problem in chapter 1? Because part of the point of Samuel is that they're, they're connected. They're connected. Do you believe that such seismic revolutions can happen just because a man is born? Even if he rose from the dead. You see the connection there. The connection between the struggles of your life and the birth of Israel's deliverer. God kills, God makes alive. The pillars of the earth are the Lord's, verses 6 and 8. He sets the foundation on which all else is built. Jesus is the template on which the rest of the building is laid. The church is one foundation, as we sang. So we're all aiming to be obedient sons and daughters of God as he was. So there's a connection there between obedience and the birth of a promised deliverer. Between the faith of Hannah and the birth of Samuel. So if we want to see obedience in our land, if we want to see wickedness fade away... If we want to see men taking responsibility for their families, if we want to see children happily obeying their parents, this has to begin with prayer for resurrection, with life from death, souls alive to God, consciences stricken with an awareness of God's anger at our sin. We cannot simply try harder than others, discipline more sternly, preach longer, articulate our beliefs more clearly, have a higher standard for our behavior. It's not, that's not what's going to drive this. It all has to begin with the miraculous birth of a Messiah, someone anointed by God to lead his people into his presence. And God begins that work with the birth of a baby, giving us a new heart, a right spirit. If we begin that work on our own, if we rely on our own work, if we re, even if we rely on our own faith, The foundation is set wrongly, and the end will be a mess. We have to rely on God's work and on God himself. So there's a connection there. Keep chapters 1 and 2 of Samuel together. That's why we read uh, as much as we did. Hannah's praying for the birth of a son in order to bring a revolution of godliness among God's people. And that really happens. We see that in later chapters. Samuel is a faithful prophet and judge who teaches the people God's word, brings them back to God and back to his word. That's part of the big picture Hannah sees here. And we should ask too, are we talking about Samuel or Jesus? And the answer is yes. Samuel is a picture of Jesus in this. Well, let's... Move on to the last point here and close. Uh, Samuel grows. Uh, Hannah bears fruit. We have now a younger uh, but favored son in Eli's house. An adopted son. Samuel is moved from Elkanah's house to Eli's house. 
Eli now has an adopted son alongside of his own sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were already mentioned. And here's another plot line that repeats in Scripture over and over and over. Right? The natural son, or the older son, is stepped over for a younger son, an adopted son, a chosen one. Abel's sacrifice is accepted instead of Cain's. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Joseph is favored over his eleven brothers. The pattern repeats itself in the book of Samuel. Eli's sons are replaced by Samuel. Samuel's own sons are replaced by Saul. Saul's son Jonathan is replaced by David. It goes on and on. And we come to Jesus and we find that the, the older sons of the Sanhedrin are replaced by the younger son of Jesus, the, the beloved only begotten son. The question is always there, and I'll close with this rather abruptly today. Where is the true son who's going to obey his father? It's not Hophni and Phinehas. Is it going to be Samuel? Where's the true son who can protect God's people and serve them faithfully? God has given his unfaithful people a faithful son in Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, delightful stories, compelling stories, which are also true events and faithful foreshadowings of your son, Jesus. Lord, you've given us such a treasure in, in your word. Uh, let us uh, treasure it and draw all the truth from it that we can. We thank you, Lord, that in spite of our unfaithfulness, uh, our laziness, uh, sitting when we should be standing, uh, being served when we should serve, in spite of our inadequacy as husbands and wives, in spite of our grief, as Hannah had so much grief, that being provoked even by those around her in the midst of it repeatedly. Lord, we have ex indeed experienced trouble and sorrow, but we have poured out our desires to you, and you have remembered us, and you have given us a son who restores us, who, who redeems us, who forgives us our sins. Lord, we uh, have a taste of that already in our forgiveness of sins, week by week, day by day. But Lord, you will fully restore, and we give you thanks for that. And so we come before you thankful and asking you further in prayer as we sing the prayer that your son taught us to pray. Just a couple of verses from 1 Samuel once again, the, uh, the middle of the text. Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Remembering is central. God remembered Hannah and gave her a son. God remembered Israel and sent her judges, kings, and prophets. And God has remembered us, and we see proof of it on the table before us. He's given us his son. He lent him to us. We killed him rejecting his rule over us. But that very rejection worked the, the salvation of many. God has remembered us. So for us, remembering is an act of allegiance. We believe that as with Samuel, the birth of our Lord Jesus began to overturn everything. We believe his death on the cross destroyed the work of the devil. 
His resurrection from the tomb showed him to be God's son. His sacrifice made, was accepted on our behalf. His ascension to the throne of God at God's right hand puts him in a place where he can rule and provide best for us by giving us the spirit. God has remembered us. Uh, one note on the different way that we're doing communion since meeting again. I want to point out this morning, haven't done this yet, that this is irregular, <laughs> the way that we are doing communion. It's not wrong, mind you, but it's not normal either. Uh, the sacrament involves more than just eating and drinking. It also includes the words of institution, the breaking of the bread, and the distributing of it as well. Uh, the image should be of Christ feeding us from his table, which is why we usually pass around the bread that I break here. So we shouldn't lose that action long term, the distributing from Christ through his elders to each of you. Uh, it's not quite right, uh, excuse me, it's not quite right to not distribute physically in the moment. But it isn't so essential that we can't make an exception in these times either. So irregular, short term, uh, but uh, the Lord is uh, looking on us in favor as we uh, receive the Lord's Supper in this unique way. Come, for all things are now ready, the gifts of God for the people of God. The body of Christ, broken for you. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.